How are the leaders at all levels of management tackling the toughest challenges each day? That's the question. And this podcast is the answer. I'm Rob Fonte, and I'm bringing on the brightest minds in management to share practical solutions to those challenges you're facing. Let's get ready to jam. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Leadership Jam Session. Today's episode features co-authors, Dr. John Buford and Sean Georges, who are here to talk about their recently published book called On Mission, Your Journey to Authentic Leadership. Dr. John Buford served as a Marine Corps officer for more than 20 years, conducting operations overseas and teaching at the officer training schools. After retiring from the Marines, John earned a doctoral degree in education and became a college professor and certified leadership coach. Sean Georges is a Naval graduate who served in the Marines for 13 years, the bulk of them serving as a military lawyer. For the past 22 years, he served as Senior Vice President in Human Resources and General Counsel for a publicly traded retail company. It's important to note, Sean was also on the Leadership Jam session as a guest on episode 45. Both John and Sean are the co-founders of On Mission Leadership. Sean, John, welcome to the Leadership Jam session. Thanks. Good to be here. Thank and you. are you both ready to jam? I am ready to jam. All right. So so first of all, let me just, uh, I do want to start off before we even dive into the book. I first want to thank you both for your service to our great nation. Very much appreciate it. And apparently you both have known each other for a long time. Is that right? Yes. You have. Go for it, Sean. Yes, we have. And it's uh, that's sort of a part of the if there's any magic in the book and in our relationship, you're looking at two guys that became friends in third grade when oh, they wow. first met. Yeah. This small little town in, in central Illinois. I had just moved there. I'm sitting in the classroom and I look over and here's this ball of energy, this remarkable boy who I thought, oh, wow, I like that guy. John always just had a sense of energy and adventure around him. And so we uh, we became instant friends from that point on. And it's really remarkable. It's the rest of our life sort of kind of walking alongside one another, playing yeah. high school football. And we both went into the Marines right around the same period of time and served as officers in the Marine Corps in sort of different ways and different capacities. John was more of a warrior, I think, than I was. Started early, played high school football together, and I, we, we kind of stayed in touch and walked down the road with our families and situations. So it's been, yeah, it's been one one of life's blessings. I count it. That's fantastic. It's kind of rare nowadays to to have that type of long lasting relationship, right? From grammar school. And even through that coming together to write this book, which is pretty fascinating too. Of course, Sean and I have been, I think we've been friends, but one of the things that sustain us is this kind of lifelong conversation or at least decades long conversation about leadership. We've all, always been, and this is a term of endearment, a little bit leadership geeks. Sean's a prolific reader, and I guess I'm probably some degree of a prolific reader. But I taught a lot of, I, I taught in the, the military academies, officer schools. I taught leadership and ended up teaching undergraduate college for 11 years. And so the vocabulary was there, the interest was there, the passion was there, and we go back and forth and back and forth. And then when we started to pen this work, it became a collaborative project, and I think just kept us close. Well, I have to say that what I really love about this book is the way you approached it from a, a learner's mindset, mm-hmm. which I can truly appreciate. 
and the whole structure and the layout really does a nice job. And again, this book is for all levels of leaders, but if you're somebody who's looking to lead a team or just promoted and leading a team, I would highly recommend this book because it really does a nice job in laying out some of the fundamentals. And just to kind of dive into this book. So your journey to authentic leadership, I love that as well on mission, but there's the term authentic leadership or the concept at least is one that's been used out there in, in a broad sense. If perhaps you can explain and define what does authentic leadership look like? I think that would be helpful. Yeah, we uh, put a lot of thought and time in, in sort of our use of the words to include that one. We thought it was important to keep it not as a authentic and, and we'll put a trademark by it and then we'll sort of define what authentic is. Yeah. Quite simply, what we liked was the real meaning of the word authentic as an adjective for leadership is the real thing. And then, of course, we describe leadership, but it is both authenticity in the human being who is influencing another person in the direction of a shared mission, authenticity and who they are and how they engage, but also not manipulation, not control, not management. Leadership has a hundred million definitions. And John and I really focused on that aspect of, of how one human being, when you're leading, one human being who moves and influences another person in their level of commitment and thinking and their actions through who the leader, when they're leading, through who they are and what they do. There's just realness about it. And we get to the supportive concepts of leading from a place of humility and uh -huh. serving another person. So that's why it's hard to use the word, well, we're talking about real leadership. We actually are. We're talking about the authentic thing. And sometimes you just got to, you got to use the term and through the book, that's why we included stories and, right. and why we really fleshed it out. And we want people to find that in themselves and in their relationships, that real thing, like John and my relationship and the experiences we've had in leading and following. So long answer, we're talking about the real thing, authenticity, both in who you are and how you engage is what really we're trying to get at in leadership. And the stories that, that you highlight in the book is very helpful. And again, I go back to why I love the approach so much, because you even throughout the book, you throw in a lot of reflection questions too, to help tease that out and go even deeper with it. And I know, as we talked about the authenticity piece being a very broad base, you both do a real nice job of breaking it down because there's so many things that tie into that. I mean, you mentioned before servant leadership, I think it was in chapter six, the servant leader model, because again, authenticity, servant leadership, right? broad-based type of concepts, but even the servant leader model, and you have the visual in your book, and maybe you can explain it, really helped me to kind of see that too. Good. We really wanted something that I think that the model, you know, Rob's referring to is a, it's a simple kind of Venn diagram that we like to say you can draw on the back of a napkin. And I'm not saying anything new here. Leadership concepts are relatively simple. Pulling it off can be quite complex. You're dealing with people, but we wanted something that that reflected a perspective. There's so much great leadership literature out there. We've read a ton of it. 
but so many books hold up principles and here's the things to do, right? Here's the top 10 things that a leader should do. The model, what we love about the model, and this comes a little bit, instead of focused on your style of leadership or the list of things to do, this kind of core perspective that can be applied no matter in any situation where you're working with human beings. So if there's anything original in a book, we, I think we'd like to think it was that model. We use that model a lot when we talk, when we teach, when we do programs. It's the core, and we think that people can take that on as a core perspective. It informs everything they do. And the term that we use throughout the book as well, it came from Sean, was What's my best and highest role in service to my teammates in alignment with the mission? And we think that visual along with that whip or reminder can really inform you in any leadership situation. Yeah, because the on mission is an important piece. And in the diagram, correct me if I'm wrong, right? That's kind of at the top. And then you have like, I think three people laid out on, underneath that, right? And then you, the leader underneath your people, with arrows going to each of the three people. Is that right? Yes. What really stood out to me was that as I was reading it, you made the point of saying that the leader is on the bottom. It was profound because leadership from a positional standpoint is like you're on top and your people are below you. But the way the, the diagram was the opposite, right? You're kind of like on the, on the bottom and your right. people are above you making those connections with each of those individual people that then connect to the mission. I thought Rob, that was pretty one, powerful. One of the things that we have observed and learned across our life's experiences when it comes to leadership, especially after being in corporate America, which mm -hmm. is enamored with managing itself around org charts and things like that, is one of the phrases we kind of came up with is that leadership does not work the way an org chart looks. Right. So it's, it is a far more interesting relationship-driven mission focused, organic kind of an activity than this sort of top down, you report to me, I am responsible for this and that, follow my orders, control management, et cetera. You have to have some of that in any organization or the flywheel might, I, I suppose, just take off, but only enough management to allow leadership to serve and support the people at our working to accomplish that mission. And that that's the thing. It's part of what John and I are trying to do in this book, in addition to talking about the developmental journey, is to try to put leadership in its real, again, authenticity, its real perspective. Leadership should not be an imposition on others. It, it is a service to others in the direction of whatever you're trying to accomplish, whether it's one other person or a team or a corporation yeah. or a government, there's a sense of we, and we're moving in a certain direction. Leaders create that space and provide that environment. It's part yeah. of it. Let me just add real quickly that we try to be anything but dogmatic and we're we are not pooing away organizational charts and authority and organizational relationships and reporting chains. Of, we're big chain of command guys, right? Like we were in the military, but we like to think that this is a complementary, not a contrary perspective. So you can work within a hierarchy. This works in the military. Some of the best general officers we knew were absolutely servant leaders. And that's the way we were raised from a bottle in the Marine Corps was you serve those soldiers and Marines and sailors below you, in quotes, from a, that servant leader perspective. 
serve those below me as if they were above me. And then leaders eat last, right? I got to ask, right? Because they're the servient leader. I love what somebody, one one of you just said that before, right? Concepts are simple, but applying them is a whole different story, right? And there's a lot that goes into it, many different techniques. And there's one thing that stood out to me in the book here that I definitely want to dive in a little bit more. So you cannot lead authentically without love. So what does that mean? Because I am sure, as I just said that, and some of you out there listening are probably raising your eyebrows. Okay, what does that really mean? And what does that look like? This came to us along the way as we were really challenging ourselves to get to the heart Mm -hmm. of this leading thing. We had lots of recollections. We reflected on when leadership wasn't working and when it was, and when we were deeply influenced by another person. And something that just kept coming up, sort of like Jim Collins when he wrote Good to Great, and he said, I don't want to hear about leadership. We're not going to write about leadership. But they just couldn't avoid leadership as being an element of the good to great companies. And it, and so it is with, with love. And so what we talked about is that when real influence happens, when someone decides that they are going to allow you, permit you to influence them in their commitment, their behavior, their thinking, there is a connection that has to be made. And what we observed is that the people that had the biggest influence in our lives at some level, And I'm not saying they were warm and fuzzy. In fact, they very well may not have been warm and fuzzy, but we knew that their heart had opened to some degree and they cared about us, about our performance, about our development, about our safety. And to, when you start to open care, which is the heart, you get into a relationship of a completely different kind. It's not all you're patting people on the head Mm. and You don't even have to use the L word, but you can tell the difference between someone who's manipulating another person for whatever the end is, or someone who is truly engaging in a way that is involving love. And quite frankly, unless you go there in your leading, you'll never really reach that kind of level of impact as someone who truly is going to be open enough to care about another person. A leader-follower relationship shouldn't be paternalistic. I would say that I think what Sean is speaking to here is a little bit like the feeling or the pride that one has when they see their son or daughter walk across the stage on graduation. You want your followers, you want your teammates to succeed. And if you've been in it with them, in it to win it, and have helped them develop and support them and they you, that's the type of love that develops. You two know that followers want to see their leaders succeed too, right? Like that loyalty and love, I think flows both ways, but it's a, it is a feeling it's an emotion that, and those are important, right? I have rarely told any one of my college students that I love them, but I have a few times because it came up out of my mouth and it was authentic and it's important you get to that level. I completely, yeah, I completely agree. It's provocative just the way you even threw that out there, right? You cannot lead authentically without love. I think it's well-written and it should be provocative because again, I am a leadership geek, just like I know the both of you are, I read a lot of books and concepts. What I love about this is it's such an important concept that your employees know that you do deeply care for them, but how that's described was really captured nicely 
in your book. So the whole concept around this, I think, was very well written, and it was structured in a way that it made total sense, right? Because as you were talking about that, John, I remember over 20 years of managing, I could remember the times where I felt the most joy out of managing is when I remember one time I had three employees on my team receive one of the highest awards in the organization. And usually maybe one gets it a year and I had three in the team that, that received it, walked on stage. And it was such a great moment to see those three because I knew how much they worked and how hard they did. And I really cared about them because I knew how much it, it meant to them. And what is interesting over the years, I've learned exactly what you just said, John, you, it goes both ways. When you give that, I know the thing with some of my employees, the biggest fear they had was letting me down that mm -hmm. time, right? And I didn't learn that till like years later. I was just doing things, hoping what I was doing was working, but it really came down to the people aspect all the time. It was so important. So. Rob, I remember when I was in the Marine Corps, I was a captain and one of my greatest mentors, he's actually mentioned the book in the back. I'll say his name, General Jay Paxson. He retired a four-star general, but at the time he was a lieutenant colonel, battalion commander, and we had just come back from overseas, pretty eventful deployment. And it, as is the tradition in the military, you turn over command when the officer leaves, relinquish command, and there's quite a ceremony and all the Marines march by and salute. And I will never forget, I was his junior. I was a captain. I was just so impressed with the way he led. But he became physically emotional watching his Marines march by. It wasn't, he wasn't high-fiving himself because he had successfully completed his command and going on to the, get promoted to the next day. He was so proud of the, those young Marines and what they had accomplished. And he shed a tear there. And I remember at the time, I was, whatever I was, 30 years old, looked at him and said, wow, so that's what it's about. I'll never forget that. And he continued to be my mentor throughout my career. And I just learned how to love your followers. From that. That's right. Yeah. You know, that, that that's one of the things you, when you think about the concept of servant leadership to primarily focus with a mission alignment on serving your teammates, it seems to me it becomes a mechanical unless you engage the heart. As soon as you engage the heart, that raises, again, with a mission alignment, we're not talking about, right? So, but as soon as you engage the heart and engage the uh, walk with love, it absolutely, things flow. It is, becomes the natural order of things. You're going, leaders are going to eat last. You're not going to look out for your own interests first. You're going to, because you, because you love it. So that's again, authenticity. Now we're getting to the real stuff and you don't have to fake it. And they're going to know if you do. But yeah. yeah, we're lucky. We observe people like John Story, General Paxton. And so we know it is possible and necessary, in fact. And I think people get unfortunately concerned that, well, I don't want to show any type of emotion or this is kind of just fluff out there because I'll be viewed as a weak leader, yeah. right? But that's out there. Unfortunately, that's the misperception, particularly with new leaders or ones that want to become leaders. That's what they're thinking. I'm going to just be viewed as a weak leader at times. That's a balancing act that we hit that in a book a little bit. And I would say there may be almost a little inconsistency with the way we present it, because on one hand, I agree with you 100%. We, we advocate for people being real, 
inauthentic. We also recognize and advocate in the book that a leader should be intentional about managing their emotions, much as you do as a parent or anything else. If your leader is panicking, that does not bode well. Right. We know that. Sure. If your leader has difficulty handling some friction or a change of plans, that doesn't bode well. And so you need to be authentic. On one hand, it's okay to cry. It's okay to maybe get a little angry once in a while, but you need to manage that because ultimately managing your emotions is a service to your teammates. There you go. Right. If you're being calm. Yeah. The best you can, that's serving them. If you try to not be visibly angry, even though that feeling is inside of you, but you're not emoting anger to other people, that's a service to your team. Mm. So we want people to be, we think we should be authentic, right? recognize your feelings, but manage your emotions. And that's real. That gets yeah. back to just yeah. making it real. Absolutely. And you're asking, the what's my best and highest role in this moment? My best role is to stay calm in this moment. My best and highest role is to provide encouragement. Maybe in this moment or at this time, I need to put some heat on it. We need some real emotion. We need a sense of urgency. (laughs) Right. So again, it comes back, but it's, you're always serving. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what, you know, serving with love doesn't mean that you're not having the hard conversations or some heat at times. Right. In fact, to avoid avoiding the hard conversations is where I have seen most of the leadership failures in my life. That should have been dealt with. You need to address that. But it's, again, it's not ducking, but it's how you do it. Take them offline. Doesn't have to be a public flogging, right? Please, no, let's do it one-on-one. Correct. See if we can teach and mentor and build back up and send them back out into the fray. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I do think the strongest leaders are, and the most confident ones are the ones that do have the ability to show some type of vulnerability. And I love in the book about knowing when you need to be led. And I forget whose story it was, John, it might've been yours, kind of getting lost or not knowing. You know, it had to have been Sean because I never get lost. I'm thinking that's probably- yeah, No, that was Sean's, but I've had many situations like that. Sean, you want to speak to that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I was on a, just a training mission in, in Norway. And we, so I happened to be the lead of that mission. And the night before we had planned, it had gone exactly according to plan. And we come back and I'm feeling just on top of the world. So that was an exercise. And this was a small team, small unit. And one of the instructors came up to me and he said, are you in charge of this group? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, well, good job last night. Thank you, sir. And then he said, now you've got a real world problem. What's that? Well, you've got one of the members of your team has gone down hard, a sick illness, and we've got to pull him out of here and get him back to the drop-off area. And we were in a place that looked to me to be off the map. I brought my team together, partly because I didn't want to admit, I don't know where the heck we are. And I said, does anybody know? And I'm looking around at my team. Well, there was this one naval officer that didn't really fit the fit the bill. And he just kind of didn't look the part. Looked like he mm-hmm. may might be better uh, suited to be on a ship mm-hmm. out, in the, out in the wilds of Norway. And he said, yes, I know how to get back. And I looked around, anybody else? And then I said are you sure? And he said, yes. And I said, good, because I don't. We are going to follow you. And we geared up and we got our, got our 
casualty on on this on this sled and we pulled and we went lots of miles through valley and wood and he led us flawlessly he just knew and we trusted him and thank god because i didn't know where we were that was before gps there are times where we'd like to think we have all the answers but we don't i think that goes a lot further along the way when your team knows that you have the willingness to admit that and turn to somebody who has the answers even within the team and it's such an important concept it happened to me several times where i'm trying to steer my team down a certain path and my team pushed back. One time, I vividly remember, I had managers reporting it to me, and I was pretty dead set on a path that we needed to go forward. Several of them were pushing back, and finally, I had to take a step back and say, you know what? I think I have this wrong. This might be a time where I need to be led by my team type of thing. I think there's a real training piece there on teams, real culture-building training opportunity, because many times people out of habit or whatever won't step forward, don't feel the safe space to step forward and push back or don't feel that their leader expects to hear their opinion. A lot of my time in the last couple of decades has been with the students, undergraduate students, and they're so used to being told what to do and then doing exactly what they're told, no more to no less. When you say, what do you think or what would you do? They give you that deer in the headlights look and it's like, <laughs> you're the professor. And you say, no, I really want to know your opinion. I value your opinion. And but when you create that space and you create that culture, then I think it flows, it lubricates the process a little bit so people feel empowered and also they know that's an expectation of, that you have of them to speak up. Yeah, I think that is critical. A lot of times leaders shy away from trying to put too many expectations out there, or even using the word because they're fear of that they might be a micromanager. But the reality is that people need to know right? What the expectations are, where you're trying to get them towards ties into on mission at times, right? And I think we do need to set expectations, even for what the team, what you expect of the team and how they should approach you, right? That it's okay to push back, creates mm -hmm. that whole environment. I completely agree, John. So important. Gets back to the people piece. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that, that being clear and one of the reasons why when you look at our visual model with when you're late, not always leading, but when you're leading the leader at the bottom, it's actually a two-way arrow of relationship. And you talk about expectations. Yeah. So it's one thing to say, all right, this is what I expect of you. I expect you to be on time. I expect you to deliver. I want my paper clips at a 45 degree angle. I expect this, that, and the other thing, right? From your teammates. You also need to be crystal clear about what they can expect of you. Yep. And we have found that is one of the things that either through their actions or just, hey, this is what you can expect of me, but it will be clear. Mm -hmm. They know where you're going to be. They know what your standards are just by your example. They know how you communicate. And it's this learning, this yeah. that's a part of this relationship that happens. And it's so that's when you build the ties that bind and that the ties that allow a team to overcome adversity and move towards mission. Completely agree. Yeah. All right. So one last question for the both of you. So if I'm a new leader, what's one piece of advice you can give? One thing that they should definitely focus on? I'll start. And it's probably the same thing Sean would say, but he's pretty smart. He'll think of something else. So <laughs> yeah, say the same thing. But we conclude the book with um, what we call leader commitments. And we've had as many as 30 and narrowed them down and refined them. And I think we ended up with 11, 11 or 12 in the book. But 
Number one commitment is to define yourself as a leader. And Sean mentioned a few minutes ago, a lot of times their perspective of leader is the authority or the person with so much responsibility they don't want. But leadership is a it's a big deal, but it doesn't have to be a big deal. It's a perspective. If you think of yourself as a leader and define yourself as a leader, that's not saying that you're hoity-toity, important, anything else. It's just taking on a responsibility to serve others a little more profoundly. And leadership bubbles up in the checkout line at the grocery store and the church committee meeting. And you don't have to be a CEO. You don't have to write a book. Yep. You don't have to be a military officer or anything else. But I think that would be the one thing that, that I would say. Say, hey, think of yourself as a leader and then allow that work at it and allow that to organically bubble up and play with it and see what that does in your life. That's not thinking more of yourself. That's just taking on and the responsibility to serve others. Great advice. Absolutely. All right. Well, I appreciate the both of you coming on and talking about your book. Love the book. For those of you out there, I would highly recommend this book and we will put all of the contact information for Sean and John and the link to the book within the show notes. Once again, I appreciate you both coming on and talking about your book. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for what you do. Appreciate you. Appreciate you, Rob. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it with a friend or colleague who you think might also get some value from it. I'm Rob Fonte, and I'll see you on the next episode of the Leadership Jam Session Podcast. 